Hi, Happy Homeschoolers. Before the episode begins, we have a special announcement. That's right. We're announcing the launch of our brand new website. Go to www.happyhomeschoolerpodcast.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes. Access show notes. Learn a little about everyone who works on our show. And more. Go to www.happyhomeschoolerpodcast.com and check it out today. Now on with the show. Happy Homeschooler Podcast, a digital support group for everyone interested in a learning lifestyle. I'm your host, Jennifer. I'm your co-host, Holly. And I'm your co-host, Melody. Today, we'll be interviewing homeschooling author and podcaster, Deborah Bell. But before we get to that, how's everybody been since last time? Holly? Well, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant uh, that has to do <laughs> with, with kids and cell phones Okay. And um, and devices. So I'm probably a dinosaur, but my son, who's just turned 11, does not have his own cell phone or his own tablet. He is able to use mine, and I have on it Kids Messenger for him. And, you know, he interacts with his friends on my phone or on my tablet. So a couple nights ago, I was trying to read a lengthy news article, and a friend of his called him through Messenger, and I didn't answer the call and declined it. And a moment later, she called again. And I declined it. And a moment later, she called again and I declined it. And then she texted, mm-hmm. answer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is super annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I talked to my son about it. And I was like, hey, if you ever try to call your friends and they don't answer, don't do that. That's really inconsiderate and rude. And it made me think about, you know, back in the day when families had one phone and everybody shared it. Yeah. Kids knew what the expectations were for using the phone. They would call somebody's home, call somebody's number. A person would answer. They would say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Uh-huh. May I please speak to my friend? Sometimes you had to talk to the person's mom or dad for yeah. me, which I think is good. You know, I think it's good. But now with kids having their own devices, they don't really care how they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And they're developing all kinds of inconsiderate and rude behaviors like Just calling somebody constantly in a row, call, 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 call. You know, if you did that, your friend's mom or dad would be like, you better cut that out. (laughs) That's it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so um, I think, you know, while there are are many reasons why people would want to give their children a cell phone or or a tablet, I think we're missing the mark on instructing them in the proper uses of it and how to communicate with their friends. You know, and they're going to get older and go into getting a job. A lot of homeschool teachers have a job. And it's really important not to wait until they've cemented some unpleasant habits uh, (laughs) to start telling them, hey, that's not how you communicate with people. Yeah. You know, my son also, I noticed something really funny. So a lot of times when we we use my phone to make a call, like he'll call his grandmother to thank her for a gift or something. He's used to putting the phone on speaker. But a couple of nights ago, my daughter called me and I was I was like, hey, do you want to say she's like, tell him hi. I'm like, you can tell him. So I handed the phone to him. But he assumed the phone was on speaker and he held it far away from and he couldn't hear her. And she couldn't hear him. I'm like, dude, you know. So I, I, think, I think we as parents in the in you know the 21st century, we need to work on teaching our kids some better skills using devices mm-hmm. and phones. Okay, off the soapbox. <laughs> well, no, 
Melody, how have you been? Do you have a rant for us? <laughs> no, but I'll piggyback on yours because um, <laughs> when I was teaching an English class, I was getting text language, like in written pieces, like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> spell the word all the way out, spell it correctly, <laughs> you know, all those kinds of things. And these days, like your phone will let you know, not that autocorrect is always correct. And sometimes it changes <laughs> things after you send something. But yeah, that kind of goes along with it. Proper grammar and just <laughs> be polite. Uh, just be polite. Oh, I'm sorry. I got to interrupt probably- just one more thing. Your kids need to know, don't be texting your friends at all hours of the day and night. <laughs> I don't even know if the people know their kids are up texting at all hours of the day and night. But I'm like, um, that's a problem. A okay, sorry. Work. Sorry. <laughs> we always had a rule, too. It's like, don't text anybody before nine or after nine a.m. and p.m. It's like mm-hmm. they're going to bed or even if they're not, you're supposed, you're not supposed, you're supposed to. to. <laughs> Anytime the technology changes, we've got to buckle down a little bit and teach the rules, but I don't have a rant other than that right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. <laughs> but I am really glad for it to be fall. And, you know, last time you talked a little bit about paying more attention to health and wellness, things like that. And I was kind of doing the same thing as far as preparing meals and cooking things from scratch again we had we 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 first moved in we didn't have the kitchen set up and we got into Mm -hmm. some habits some lazy habits of some prepared foods but you know I'm a pretty big label reader and I didn't like some of the things I was starting to see (laughs) on my labels and so Mm. I've started going back to scratch and mixing up some of our own mixes and everything tastes so good that way so yes it does keeping me busy it doesn't really take that much time either so like you know we do some changes gearing up for Christmas it's like Mm -hmm. I'd like to be as healthy as I possibly can Mm -hmm. but what have you been up to lately Jennifer oh sorry well actually I was gonna talk about the uh, co-op class I've been teaching I know I've talked about the you know high school zombie class I've been teaching which has been going great I'm having (laughs) so much fun with it but I've also have been teaching a class for our co-ops elementary and middle school group and it kind of ties into what we were just talking about it's a grammar class and it's a grammar games class these Oh, no. Nice. Ages. These kids are like um, seven to 11. That's the age group. And we've been doing it for five weeks. And it's truly a just an introduction to grammar. And I, it, it's been fun. It's all games, but you know, we did a whole day of games about nouns and a whole day of games about no, verbs. And, and it's all very hands on. But I really, you know, tying into what you were both talking about, really recommend that you start discussing or introducing those grammar ideas and concepts to your kids at a younger age that they need it. Like they don't need it for writing yet. They're not ready to be writing papers and using proper grammar and sentences and things right now. But just being knowledgeable about what is a noun is a really great first step, you know. (laughs) Um, So uh, that really helps with them later on with their writing, too. But you can do it like I've been doing. You can do it in a fun way, especially with the younger kids. And games are a great way to fit all that in. Oh, I love them with games. Now let's get to our interview with Deborah Bell. Well, we're very excited to have Deborah Bell join us on the podcast today. Deborah Bell has written some wonderful books about homeschooling, The Ultimate Guide to Homeschooling and The Ultimate Guide to Homeschooling Teens. And she has an online academy and she has been a homeschooler for a long time and has a podcast with her daughter. Deborah, we're so thankful to have you with us today. Would you give our listeners just a little little background before we delve into peppering you with questions? 
Thanks, Hall. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I live in central Pennsylvania, and we were the first homeschoolers in our district. I am a public school teacher by training, and I was substituting in our district when I, I fell in among radicals who were, <laughs> um, they were at the La, La Leche League. I don't know if um, that's still around, but I fell in amongst them, and then they went into homeschooling, and I just followed them there, and I was radicalized. Uh, I was raised. I was raised by public school teachers, so this was this was pretty much a, a crisis in our family. Wow, my cousins are public school teachers. Yes, I was really personal grata at first. <laughs> wow, but we homeschooled the whole way through, and my, my parents, God bless them, became troopers about it. They really became our strongest advocates in the end, and even came to our state convention for many years. We had a booth. I was speaking, and I've done a lot for homeschoolers over the years, sold books and had resources and services. And my parents even worked in the booth as retired public school teachers. That's um, awesome. So my four kids are now grown. Uh, they all, all have college degrees and they are all gainfully employed. And uh, I have got 13 grandchildren, and wow, uh, nice. most of them are not yet school age, but those that are are being home educated at this point. Though everybody is like, no pressure, mom. <laughs> I'm not allowed to put expectations. I'm, I'm pretty thrilled with my adult children. I, I feel like we accomplished our goal, which was independent learners, lifelong yes. learners. Mm -hmm. We talk about books a lot. We talk about ideas, everything. I know I was talking with Holly before the podcast. It's so much fun to have adult children whom you love being around. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Oh, it is. You know, I agree. We always say that we've raised our own best friends. I love you know, that. Yeah, Jennifer and Melody and I all have a large families. Um, we do. I have six children from age 37 down to my last one, who's 11. So uh, he'll be 11 tomorrow. And Jennifer has eight and Melody has seven. So we are all... Uh, very family oriented and sounds like you all are as well. Do all your children live nearby? No. So um, I get, I mean, I have a daughter down the road, like 15 minutes away. I have a daughter two hours away in Philadelphia. I have a son in New York city. That's three hours away. And I, I have a son, he has a twin brother who, you know, during the pandemic pulled up stakes and moved to South Dakota. He's out there homesteading <laughs> oh, wow. uh, in the land of the free and the brave. So, um, and, and he's, his kids are homeschooled, and I don't know what you call it now, wild and free. Oh, yeah. That, There's so uh, many terms for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're where we're going uh, whenever we're concerned about running out of resources <laughs> or because uh, my grandchildren, who are not even teenagers yet, they, they definitely know how to live off the land and how to hunt and fish and cook and grow and garden. That's wonderful. I it is. Awesome. I, I think it's so cool. Yeah. Two of my kids are married. Married to homeschool graduates, they met at our homeschool. Interesting. Oh, yeah, I don't know if that's cool. happened to you, ladies, yet. Like, yeah, it I did. Has, but I love that. <laughs> Matt, where did you meet your spouse? Oh, at the homeschool co-op. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> it was a co-op we were involved in, and quite a few of the kids in there are married, and they have yes. quite a few kids, and they are homeschooling too. So it's, yep. you know, the indoctrination worked, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I like to tell people, you know, when I'm around younger homeschoolers, like, be careful who you co-op with. 
<laughs> you, That's a you great know how, how this is working out. But um, anyways, it's worked out terrific for us. And, and as I was going to finish my thought, I mean, I, I just love that my son and his wife felt like, hey, we can pull up stakes and move across country and start a life, you know, that we imagine. Uh, my husband yeah. and I, my husband and I would have never considered that something so radical, but because we were raised, you know, pretty traditionally right. and, and mm-hmm. kind of had that mindset. But I, I love that my adult children are fearless and my grandchildren are fearless. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I see that in my children. Independent, independent, lifelong learners. They just go right. off and do whatever they feel like they want to learn. The catch oh. is they are not going to agree with you. So that's the catch. I right. raised independent right. learners and that means yeah. that they are not going to agree with me. So uh, I didn't quite think that all the way through. <laughs> yes, I, I've said to my husband before, it would have been easier to raise children that were not as intelligent and didn't think for themselves. <laughs> yep. But, you know, well. then the, the downside is they would be around hanging on forever. And it's wonderful to see your kids have the confidence to go out and do the things that you've equip them to do. So Deborah, you have a PhD in educational psychology. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Tell us what that means exactly. Yeah, so educational psychology is the field in which we investigate how we learn best. And I look specifically at how teens learn best. We're we're looking at the research that indicates, like, what are the best strategies and what are the best conditions what are the best circumstances for uh, teens to learn? And then also the cognitive and psychological processes. So my particular program was very closely aligned with the neuroscience department at Temple. So I found that part very fascinating, just kind of the brain science, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty hot thing now. We can really, with fMRI investigations, we can see what's happening in the brain when we're doing certain things and we're able to make some conjectures that, oh, okay, that's lighting up certain parts of the brain that shows more activity. So probably that presenting information in that kind of context facilitates deeper learning, more active learning. And I did it after I finished homeschooling. I, you know, homeschooling sort of wasn't just homeschooling, getting married really interrupted my life plans. And then, (laughs) and then everything was off track. Yeah, then everything was off track from there. But it's so cool how after I was done homeschooling, just the doors opened up for me to go back to school and pursue this PhD, which was fabulous. I find that so interesting. So did you find in your research correlations to homeschooling, is homeschooling beneficial as far as the psychology of education? Do you see benefits in that way? Yes. With a caveat, if we homeschool in a way that is aligned with what the research says about how kids learn best. Okay. So I looked at the educational research and what I love to tell parents is, A lot of what we understand about how kids learn best is much more easily facilitated in a homeschool environment than it is in a conventional brick and mortar environment. So, for example, kids learn better in a context where there's mixed age groups. You know, if you're in a homeschool co-op where you get to learn alongside older kids and younger kids that mix really facilitates deeper learning 
learning because a very powerful influence on learning is peer models. So if you're watching an older sibling or an older student who's just one or two years older than you learning how to do arithmetic or learning how to read, for example, there's a lot of leverage from that that the emerging reader gains from, first of all, the confidence, right? Okay, uh, I Mm -hmm. see that my older sibling persisted in this. And I also heard the progression from my older sibling just letter recognition to sounding out of letters to blending to, oh, she's up in her bedroom now for two hours reading. <laughs> you know, so, you, yeah. you, 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 so we decontextualize learning in a conventional setting and, and learning in the context of the family and the home where it's intergenerational like that or multi-grades and ages are mixed. You have sort of, you see the sequence Right. Of uh, what are the steps? Because just having an adult reader, that's too far a stretch. Right. Yeah. They can't see themselves in that because it's too far, Mm -hmm. too many skills that they don't see how that puts together. Right. Yeah. So I want parents to know what the research says so they do not inadvertently try to recreate school at home thinking that there was some kind of scientific support for how we educate kids traditionally that they right. need to adhere to. Mm-hmm. I want them to know, no, we why we teach kids in a conventional context the way we do has more to do with crowd control mm-hmm. absolutely, than how kids learn best. Mm-hmm. So would you say that homeschoolers in general have some kind of an intuitive understanding of this? Like homeschoolers set up co-ops all the time or or we have large families. So we've got multiple kids. And I know my youngest child learned to read at the age of four. I wasn't even trying to teach her to read. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was trying to teach somebody else to read. But it seems like by that mix of ages and the encouragement and help of other kids, that they do achieve well. And it seems like homeschooling just kind of defaults to that for the most part, except for people who are really rigid about following a textbook and trying to replicate school at home. But it seems like homeschoolers are intuitively doing a lot of these things. Yes, that is absolutely my observation too, Holly, is that it's sort of a natural experiment, right? We're out in the wild and we're doing what's called action research, which you come up with a theory about, oh, I bet my child would really find it interesting if we built some model rockets together and shot them off in the backyard, obviously, because you've been around this kid since uh, he was a toddler and you know any kid it's going to love shooting off rockets in the backyard. <laughs> but you try something and maybe you realize like, okay, wow, I should have listened to the age range on the packaging because <laughs> that was him watching mom build the rocket and me telling him to stand back mm-hmm. while I shot it off in the backyard. Mm-hmm. I was always too early. But you know what I mean? So you do this action research where you try things with your kids and you see how they respond and then right. you adjust. Like we're always calibrating. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so here, let me summarize the research for our listeners, if there's one truth consistently shown in the research about how kids learn best is education should be individualized. Uh 
Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. That's huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, there's some commonalities, of course. There's some generalizations that we can make about children and pre-adolescence and adolescence, but the best program for any child is an individualized one where we're constantly calibrating the environment to that child's cognitive development. Yeah, that's huge. And I think that sometimes homeschool families are like, I bought this curriculum and I want to use it for all my We're kids. All using it, it yeah. costs me a lot of money. <laughs> One size does not fit all. So what what would you say to parents about how they can make that work? Given that context of I've got so many kids, I want th- I want to help them to all learn the way that's best. Because I know that you and Catherine have talked about learning styles and things like that on your podcast. So I, I would imagine that all feeds back into your well, how kids learn best information that you're sharing. So I do think at the end of the day, if you have more than one child, then you do have to default to being realistic or pragmatic. So how each child learns best is with an individualized, calibrated program. But thank goodness there are some generalizations we can make about how children learn. And I think that you can use the same curriculum with many of your children, though I had four kids who I homeschooled, and there was very few curricula that I bought that worked for all four of them. Right. Mm -hmm. I'd say average, I had two math programs. I had two reading programs and I had supplements. So what I think is a mistake is when homeschoolers get married to a particular curriculum and they mm-hmm. believe in that curriculum and that methodology more than they believe in the uniqueness of each child. They're doing what schools do. They're saying, like, I'm going to make all my kids use this curriculum because I really believe in the philosophy behind mm-hmm. it. I mean, I'm a, I am love Charlotte Mason, for example. I'll just disclose that. I mean, I, I'm read her writings and I was heavily influenced by her and I think her ideas are quite remarkable they've stood the test of time mm-hmm. but I had one of my kids really wanted a lot more structure yeah. like he really he didn't want me making things up every day he wanted a routine <laughs> he really wanted more traditional materials and a more of a systematic approach and you know what he's an adult today with those tendencies he mm-hmm. he really likes to have a pretty well-organized life. And I needed to modify my uh, randomness and chaos to his preferences. This time of year, there's nothing scarier than making high school transcripts by hand. With all the time it takes to calculate grade point averages by hand, it can feel like a trick. But with Transcript Maker, you just plug your courses and grades into the template and the GPA appears like magic. What a treat. Now I have more time to pick all the chocolate out of the kids' Halloween bags. One of my favorite Halloween activities is visiting as many haunted houses as I can. With all my transcripts held in the cloud, I can access them wherever and whenever I need to, even if I'm being chased by a guy with a chainsaw. Between costumes, decorations, and candy, my bank account is giving me a scare. But Transcript Maker offers a 14 day free trial so you can give it a test drive and see how you like it and for our listeners you'll have a really happy halloween with 20 percent off the cost of your subscription using our exclusive coupon code happy that's h-a-p-p-y in all caps don't be scared of making a high school transcript for your student go to www.transcriptmaker.com today transcript maker simply better transcripts
I've been a Charlotte Mason homeschooler for forever. Um, but, you know, I've used those philosophies, but still then I would adjust them for for certain kids. And so um, some of the kids had some textbooks that were more Charlotte Mason-esque, but they were still textbooks. One of them was Apologia, which I know your daughter wrote an Apologia textbook. So they're they're really well suited for all kinds of learners. But yeah, being able to adapt and meet the needs of your children is important. One of the things that intrigued me, Deborah, is that you said you're specifically focused on looking at teens. I think that's a really important segment of our society. You know, public schools have them getting up early and go, 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 and tons of activities. And I'm wondering what the educational research tells us about what's best for teens. Yes, I'm glad you asked me about that. We know a lot about adolescence and what's happening. So in early adolescence, your child is having the same dramatic growth and development that your child had as a two-year-old. Like from birth to three years of age, think about the radical transformation Mm -hmm. that takes place and you can see it, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, your early adolescent and, you know, puberty is starting earlier and earlier for reasons we're not quite sure here in the West. But whenever your child starts to have puberty is initiated, those first couple of years are when the most dramatic change is going to take place. And much of it's going to be invisible because it's happening cognitively, like their brain development is so magnificent at this point. Here in Pennsylvania, we had to have standardized testing. And I, for like 20 years, I offered a testing service to homeschoolers. So I tested thousands of kids and we had to test in third, fifth and eighth grade. Not that standardized testing is a holy grail of your child's intelligence or academic achievement, but it is a tool that gives you some data worth considering. It was remarkable to me the dramatic differences that you would often see between a third grade test score for a child and the eighth grade test score for that child. You could have that third grader just testing way below average, and then you could have that child testing above average in eighth grade. And the difference was that that child had started early adolescence and they had had this dramatic cognitive development. So you really don't know what your child's, say, intellectual potential is until after early adolescence because of how much change occurs in the brain at that point. Oh, yeah. I'm seeing that in my 11-year-old now. (laughs) Yep. That's probably right in the sweet spot, you know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. His voice is starting to get deeper. I'll read something aloud to him. What did we just read? I forget. His brain is busy. His brain's busy. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then I I used to call it the middle school brain fog. And then sometime, you know, after Mm -hmm. they get out of that, you talk to your kid and all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're back. Welcome back. We're ready to do the hard work. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I I think that that is really commendable. So that you are kind of recognizing that's taking place. And it seems like you're adjusting your expectations because it's pretty hard for those early adolescents to think of much else besides this really awkward, scary, dramatic 
uneven change that's taking place. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know, some some kids yeah. have the kind of personality type that they take it in stride, and some kids have a much more of a even keel kind of development. It's sort it's sort of the growth is a nice trajectory. But for a lot of kids, especially boys, it can be actually have a lot of peaks and valleys, a mm-hmm. dormant period, a rapid acceleration, and they sleep a lot. They need as much mm-hmm. sleep as your toddlers mm-hmm. needed. Yeah. So yes, starting the school day later. I, I love letting my kids sleep in. I was not at all worried about them being lazy. We're all very early risers in our family. And I let my adolescents sleep in because I thought I'm just going to trust the science. And sometimes my twin boys wouldn't get out of bed till 10 when they were Mm -hmm. teens. They're up by six now as adults. We could be texting and chatting it before 8 a.m. on our family chat. But during adolescence, it was I felt like that was really healthy to let them sleep in. Now, they were up a lot later than me. That was definitely hard. Right. Yeah. You know, they would come in when yes. they were ready to talk. They were waking me up. Always Mom, late at I, night. Mom, yep. I talk? Can we talk? And I'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. I tell people I got a lot less sleep during the teenage years than the infant years. People find that hard to believe. Yeah, I used to tell um, my kids, we can't start conversations at midnight. Yeah. It can't happen. <laughs> or you can't be held right. responsible for whatever you say. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So, Deborah. What are some recommendations you would give parents who are homeschooling adolescents based on what you've learned? I think that is really the season to try to individualize to whatever degree you can. I mean, I just think you have to be pragmatic. If you got a bunch of kids, kids do need to learn to be resilient and flexible. So I, I don't think that we want to cater and coddle. I just think we want to come alongside them in an understanding way. I think they do need a challenge. I think they do need effort, like in, in the same way that we do cross training for physical development and really stretching ourselves physically is really good for healthy bones and healthy physical development. We do want to have challenge in those teenage years. We don't want to keep everything easy and everything non-controversial. I think you really want to be pushing our teenagers to do hard stuff and and to stretch themselves and get out there. But I I think the biggest thing I would tell parents of teens is it's, it's time to let them have an active voice if they don't already in their education. You want them to take ownership. You want them to take responsibility. And I think that means like standing back, you know, and and letting them fail, letting them try things. It's so much better for kids to make mistakes in decision making in their teenage years. You don't want the first time that they start making decisions and having to live with the consequences of their choices as an adult. You want them to have plenty of practice. You are singing my oh, song, right. Deborah. <laughs> well, my, my son was certainly an example of that, like practice, make mistakes. You're still at home. And so you can have a safe landing and, you know, regroup, try again. <laughs> so it's so important. And it, we don't have to do it all at once either. They can have a little bit of responsibility and then a little bit more and a little bit more when they're at home. Where if you wait till they're adults, it can just, you know, sink or swim. They're more likely to Right. Sink. Yeah. My kids, all four of them went away to college. Three of them went further than my fourth. She had already met the guy who was going to be her husband. 
at our homeschool co-op in mm -hmm. high school, <laughs> and they both went to college close by. But back to the three that went further away, I mean, you need to start giving them practice with going further and further afield. I mean, mm -hmm. my kids were, you know, went on some mission trips, went overseas. My sons played public school sports. I mean, we, so when, uh, especially the three older ones went off to college in cities in other parts uh, of the state, they had had some rehearsal. They had yeah. had some opportunities to really find out what their core values were and how they wanted to deal with peer pressure. And they, they were paying for college too, I, which my husband and I kind of felt bad about the fact that, you know, when I was homeschooling, I wasn't really working. I think homeschoolers today have seemed to figure this out from my observation, but, you know, we only had one income. We couldn't really help them with college the way that my husband would have liked to, but it turned out to be something I know all four of my kids are pretty proud of that they figured out how to pay for college. So I guess it ended up being a good experience for them. And it also helped them take their adult, like they viewed themselves as adults when they left home right. after their mm -hmm. senior year because they were mm -hmm. definitely sharing part of the financial load for caring for themselves at that point. Yeah, my middle daughter, uh, well, I always tell my children, it's my job to educate you so you can get into college. It's your job to do everything you can do to be able to get scholarships or grants or whatever. And it's your job when you get to college. So my uh, middle daughter, we did pay for her and board at the dorm, but she took out a loan for the parts of her education that weren't covered. And she was very, had very large ownership in her education. And she would get mad at a professor if they would cancel a class. She'd be like, I am paying for this and I want my class. So I think, right. I don't think we should feel apologetic, you know, for parents who can't contribute that way because we've, we've given them this big donation of our time to help them get educated in a way that's good for them. Um, I love your stories about your kids. That's great. Well, Deborah, do you have anything else you'd like to add for our, our listeners to consider? I think you alluded to a little bit of this. I mean, I, I think the homeschool community today is very vastly different from the pioneering homeschool community that my kids grew up in. I know that's part of the podcast I do with my daughter because she's definitely homeschooling her kids. You've you've mentioned her and she's authored mm -hmm. a math curriculum for Apologia. Her challenges are so much different than mine. There's so many choices. There's so many co-ops. I think her challenge is not to be overly busy, not yeah. to put, yes. you know, there's so many great opportunities. You have to say no to really good choices. I mean, you know, we had to start the homeschool co-op that we were in. Now my daughter has to choose mm -hmm. amongst, you know, a dozen homeschool co-ops. She's in the Philadelphia area. So you can imagine there's just a lot of choice. Oh, sure. Yeah. I started homeschooling in 1993. It wasn't technically legal here in Texas. And I'm still homeschooling 30 years later. And when I counsel new homeschoolers, sometimes I tell them, you need to go home and do some school. Like you just can't do all this <laughs> stuff. And, and then, oh, you know, why man. is your kid crying on the way to soccer or falling asleep in the car because you're not you're out of balance so I think that mm -hmm. is a huge challenge and more and more like you said homeschoolers are working in homeschooling I work for myself so I work from home and I homeschool and there's a lot of challenge in that and I think that's what homeschoolers now are facing you know 
a lot of choices and they they're all working and homeschooling so there's lots and lots of stress by getting it all done yeah i mean that was sort of what was behind i think my son's choice to move out to south dakota i mean his wife's an attorney he is a business person i don't think everybody has to do what they did but they wanted a certain childhood for their kids and they Mm -hmm. found this idyllic small town in South Dakota where the kids can ride their bikes all over town and still come home when the street lights come on and there's a swimming hole and they know their neighbors and there's a local farm market and I think in some ways you know they they realized like they were living on basically the east coast and I noticed this myself like it's pretty harried the closer you get to the coast I think <laughs> and, and what I notice when I'm traveling when I'm seeing them or visiting friends a little further inland, it seems a little bit more possible to control that harried lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think it, people have to make pretty disciplined choices. Mm-hmm. Um, I think social media and the internet have created unprecedented opportunities, but also unprecedented risks for us. You know, like the reason why you homeschooled in the first place was probably to provide some kind of insular bubble from what we saw were the corrosive effects of the popular culture. I I don't see that much difference anymore between popular culture and the homeschool community. It's just, it it seems like because of social media and the internet, it seems like there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, we have to to curate our groups. (laughs) You know, we have to curate our our social experiences to, to what is the most beneficial. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And I remember when I moved to Texas, I was 19, but I thought, man, people are really pokey here. They're real slow. <laughs> but you know what? I, I love the pokey slow lifestyle. <laughs> I'm well suited to it. Well, Deborah, what we always ask our guests at the end of a podcast is if you could share some interesting hobby you have or a fact about yourself that people would find surprising. Uh, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is I'm a, a very proud grandmother granddaughter of Syrian immigrants to this country. And my dad was one of seven who grew up outside of Pittsburgh in a Syrian Lebanese community. He and four of his brothers all fought in World War II at the same time, if you can imagine. Wow. Um, They all came home, amazingly. That's amazing. Yeah, not all in the same condition that they left Mm -hmm. in. So I was raised in a pretty ethnic family, and that's a very important heritage to me. So my grandchildren call me Situ. Oh, that's um, lovely. And um, all the kids in the church call me Situ, and it's sort of my uh, nickname. And I I love that. I love that I can, in the small part, carry that uh, family heritage on. So I'm a very proud American, very proud of of our immigrant history and what immigrants have contributed to our culture. So I don't know if that's a hobby, but I, I love to great. Thank I you love for to make that. Lebanese food and I love to Yum. Um, pass on some of that heritage. Now my husband's Pennsylvania Dutch and Oh he, my in laws are too. Yeah, so there's quite there's my husband says it is really quite a quite a volatile uh, mix that we've got going here. So my kids also have very strong Pennsylvania Dutch roots. That's wonderful. Well, we appreciate your time and it's been lovely getting to know you and learn how 
how your homeschool journey brought you into this educational psychology that you share to help other people's homeschool journeys go better. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, ladies. It was very fun. Here at the end of our podcast, we like to answer a big question. Holly, what's our big question for today? Our big question today is from T, who asks, When my kids were in public school, we always looked forward to school photos and the new school ID cards. How can I get these for my kids now that we're homeschooling? Is it possible? We've seen a lot of questions like this one, haven't we? Yeah, for sure. People are always wanting to know how they can recreate things that they're, you know, the parts they liked about school. And people love photo day, you know, that's a that's a good one. Um, right, and grandparents look forward to that yearly photo. Absolutely. And- I know I see a lot of first day of school photos from homeschool families. Everybody does those. And they're, some people are super creative with them and they're really cute. My so kids look like a mug that. shot. yeah he was he looked like a mugshot so that wouldn't be something i'm sending out to the grandparents (laughs) but you know our co-op had a picture day and um, oh yes oh ours too i forgot yeah Mm-hmm. And that was great. And everybody got their photo and um, mm-hmm. nice little pictures. And it was so easy to, they gave you the file. And I don't even think yeah. paid much for it. So that was really nice. And then we could have them printed up at our local, you know, Walgreens or something. Yeah, we had a homeschool to. parent that's a photographer in our mm-hmm. group as well that did that, that offered that. And I thought that was great. Yeah, we so um, great. had the to... equipment and the lighting and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if JCPenney is all across the country, um, but JCPenney has a photo studio and there are lots of Mm -hmm. other places like that that have a photo studio and they run specials. Um, So you can get a lot of photos real cheap. We haven't really done them, but this past in January, my son played basketball. And so um, we did get basketball photos and we we gave them around to everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was fun, you know, and, and he's hoping to play basketball again, but there are so many different ways to get photos for your kids. Oh yeah. There's even just apps on your phone now that you Mm -hmm. can use to do the backgrounds and everything and make it look like a school photo. (laughs) Yeah. For homeschool ID cards, I want to say that I've had really good success at the Homeschool Buyers Club. You can join them for free and and you can get discounts on all kinds of different curriculum. But they have this lovely feature where you can go in and create a homeschool ID card for yourself and for your kid. And the advantage of that is, well, there's several advantages. One is that a lot of places will give you a discount on things you're buying if you can prove Mm -hmm. to them that you're a homeschool teacher. And Mm -hmm. nothing says, you know, that you're official more than a home, uh, an ID card. An ID card, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, if you're out doing field trips or things like that, it's nice if your kid has an ID card. If you mm-hmm. get separated from each other or anything like that. My son just loves to have his. He loves to have his and put it in his wallet. Yeah. And we just print mm-hmm. them at home and use some laminating sheets from the mm-hmm. dollar store. But you can purchase them directly from the Homeschool Buyers Club if you don't feel like you want to mess around with it. And I think they're like $8 each. And you can make them at home if you're super crafty, yeah. you like Canva or something like that. Or you could have your kids make them. It could be you a project your, for them, you know. You're so brilliant that way. Uh, yeah, you can turn that into a project for your kids. The whole point of the matter is that there's pretty much nothing that you can't replicate at home yes. if you want to do it badly enough. And ID cards and, and school photos, you can certainly do those. They're two of the easiest things. Mm-hmm. Before we go, we want to leave you with a few reminders. If you've already registered for the next SAT test, the date for that test is November 4th. The registration for the December 2nd SAT test is November 2nd. 
if you want to support us here and help us grow it'd be great if you'd help new people find our show by leaving us a five-star review and sharing it on social media remember that you can get 20 percent off the cost of your transcript maker subscription with the code happy that's h-a-p-p-y in all caps if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at happyhomeschoolpod at gmail.com and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at happyhomeschoolpod. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed today, check the show notes in the episode description or go to our brand new website, www.happyhomeschoolerpodcast.com. Next episode, we'll be discussing the most adventurous type of homeschooling, world schooling. And coming in December, we'll be interviewing the one and only Amber O'Neill Johnston. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Jennifer. I'm Holly. And I'm Melody. Happy, Happy homeschooling. homeschooling. Hi, this is your host, Jennifer Jones. Thank you for listening to the Happy Homeschooler podcast, a transcript maker production. My co-hosts are Holly Williams-Urbach and Melody Gillum. This podcast was produced by Matthew Bass and edited by Nora Williams. Our graphic design is by Pete Soloway, and our music is by The Great Pangolin. You can find more of her work on YouTube and Twitter at Kylie Wins. That's K-A-I-L-E-Y Wins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or, as always, tell people about us. Go to www.happyhomeschoolerpodcast.com. Go to our brand new website, www.happyhomeschooler. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm laughing because Nora spelled out the word dot. <laughs> <most time>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, let me try to get myself together. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Nora, you kill me. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. Hang on. Let me get a drink of water. Reset myself. I'm still laughing. Okay. <laughs> if you want to learn more about anything we discussed today. <laughs> Every time I see it, I start laughing. <laughs> <laughs>